I think we're more experienced. I think we're, you know, we've been scarred, even though, like you said, we've been on a 12-game run. Uh, you know, coming off of that game, uh, we were highly motivated this season to get back to where we are right now. So um, there's been a lot of hard work, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears to get back to where we are right now and uh, get the team to this point right here. So uh, now all the chips go in, and, and now it's time to go to work this week. That's right. Here we are. We made it. It's the game. It's the week. It's rivalry week here in college football. It's my favorite week of the year. It's not even close. You guys know that. I know that. The number one thing in this sport that we have going for us is rivalries. Why? Because it doesn't matter what your record is. You throw your record out the door and you have to live with the outcome and the circumstances of this game for the next 364 days. Y'all, we did games last week which they won't even call their rival team by name. I've heard Texas A&M fans call Texas, Texas University, not the University of Texas. Ohio State calls Michigan the team up north. There's nothing better than rivalries. So let's not waste any time. We have a laundry list of breakdowns that we need to get to, and we need to get to them quickly because Kubiak is going to lose it if we don't get into this thing very, very quickly. Before I t- get into some of the breakdowns, let me just quick tell you, quickly tell you, like, rate, and subscribe. It helps us out. It helps the show out. Let's not waste any more time. It's rivalry week. Let's get to it. All right, a game that really needs no introduction whatsoever. It's the game. It's Michigan. It's Ohio State. And I feel like we have a bit of a unique perspective because I called the game involving Ohio State just last week. So I've seen them up close and personal, and I've spent time with their coaches over the last couple weeks in an effort to try to prepare myself for the Maryland game. I feel like I'm really in a good spot to be able to preview and break this thing down. I know the Buckeyes roster like the back of my hand. It's fresh in my mind, so let's give it our best shot, okay? This is obviously a massive game. It's the first time since 2006 that both Ohio State and Michigan square off as undefeated teams. Remember that 06 game? That was the first of the many games of the century, right? I mean, this this is not new. Game of the century, though, that was the first, it feels like, at least this century, or at least maybe that year, is the first game of the century. Remember, Ohio State won that game 42-39. Ohio State went on to play Florida for the national championship. They came up short in that game, but ultimately that win propelled them into that spot. Michigan dropped to number three. This is going to be an opportunity for Michigan to win against the Buckeyes in consecutive years for the first time since 1999 and 2000. Of course, the starting quarterbacks in those two games, respectively, Tom Brady, and Drew Henson. So it's been a minute since they've won back-to-back games against the Buckeyes, and it's really been a minute since they've won a game in the shoe. That was back in 2000. It's the last time they won a game in the shoe. Since then, Ohio State's won nine straight. They're in the friendly confines of Columbus, Ohio. So this is a great matchup for so many different reasons. You have the nation's second-best offense in regards to points per game against the nation's second-best defense in regards to points per game. Let's start with that because that's where most of the conversation is going to center around Ohio State's offense against Michigan's defense. That I think, of course, is probably going to be the sexy approach, if you will, when it comes to this game. Let's start with CJ Stroud. What is he? 
Do I really need to spend a lot of time on CJ Stroud? You know he's super accurate. You know he's super gifted. You know that he's going to play a very long time in the NFL more than likely. All these things are true. But I can tell you all that stuff. What I can also tell you is that the one flaw in his game is he's not elite in the pocket. He's fine. He's solid. But when he moves in the pocket, he's a little statuesque. And to be honest with you, his moves, a little bit problematic. They are trying to... I mean, when you're rushing the passer, you want to force the passer to retreat. That's the goal. If you can press the pocket, you force the passer to retreat. Well, that's exactly what CJ Stroud does. There have been a lot of clean pockets that he's thrown from this year, and the offensive line does a pretty good job in protection, but he does not step up in the pocket. And when you're constantly retreating against a quality pass rush, you're having to throw off your back foot, and that can lead to you being just a littlest bit inaccurate. That's the key for Michigan. Force Ohio State's offensive line back out of the lap of C.J. Stroud, force him to retreat in the pocket as opposed to step up in the pocket. And if you do, he'll become less accurate as the game goes along. He's a great player, though. And if he gets hot, it can be very, very difficult to contain this offense. The wide receiver position. We all know about what Marvin Harrison is. He's tremendous. He's a big body wide receiver with small receiver nuance. The guy can run great routes. He runs routes like he's five foot ten, but he's six foot three. That tells you all you need to know. So he can also win the contested catches, and he seems to, even though I don't think he's a crazy burner, he always seems to get behind the defense, probably because he has great hands, and at the second level, he can definitely make guys swat. So if you're gonna play him, you better double him up, or else you're gonna have some issues. In the slot, Emeka Ibuka. Very, very solid. We know exactly who he is as well. He'll do some different things. He'll try to involve him, but he's an excellent slot receiver that does an awful lot for the Buckeyes. Of course, if Jackson Smith and Jigba is back, he'll occupy that slot spot and Egbuka will likely slide out. But either way, whether it's Fleming, whether it's Igbuka, whether it's Xavier Johnson, is a very deep and talented wide receiver core that will be very difficult for Michigan to contain. As far as the run game is concerned, Last week, when the passing game wasn't really ripping, they said, forget about it. We're going to hand it off tackle. Well, if Mayan Williams is, for whatever reason, at less than 100%, and Travion Henderson is at less than 100%, Dallin Hayden proves to be a capable enough piece to be able to hand it to him 20 times in the game if you need to. However, if the offense isn't operating at its fullest potential, it's not going to be like Maryland. We can just hand stretch zone and boom, Dallin Hayden's going to go untouched to the second level. Michigan does a great job of holding the point of attack. So your tackles are going to have to play better than they have pretty much at any point of the season. This offensive line has been solid at times in the run game, but I expect their best performance to be this week. You see it kind of stop and start with them. They're not crazy physical and they struggle in short yardage. That could be a very, very important part of this plan. Moving over to Michigan when Ohio State has the football. We all know exactly what this defense is all about. They do a great job of affecting the opposing quarterback. They do a great job of mixing their looks and they're very, very good on the perimeter, I think. I think the biggest part of this game for Michigan is going to be the play of their corners. If you can get physical with the wide receivers like Maryland did and like teams have at times this year, I think you can disrupt the rhythm enough to be able to make life difficult for the passing attack. If I were them, 
I'd get as physical as humanly possible. And if I get flagged a couple times as a result, so be it. I'll live with those 15-yard pass interference penalties more so than I'll live with giving up 15-yard completions. Why? Because a pass interference penalty doesn't build confidence in the offense. I'd hit these receivers as best I could if I were Michigan. That, I think, is the key. So we've kind of summed up that side of the ball. If you look at Michigan offensively, we know so much of it's going to center around whether or not Blake Corum is healthy. I don't know for sure. I think he'll be fine, but will he be close to 100%? That is an all-points bulletin that you must find out if you're Jim Harbaugh in this offensive attack. Donovan Edwards as well, very important piece of the run game. This offensive line, I think you can make a strong argument. It's the best offensive line in football. I think they are. It's the best group I've seen this year. And I think Ohio State up front defensively is pretty dang good. I think they're very good on the edges. Jack Sawyer, JT Tuimolo-Al, those two guys do an excellent job. You got Harrison on the other side. On the edges, Ohio State's really good. But I do think up the middle of the defense, they are somewhat human. If I'm Michigan, I'm trying to establish a vertical run game as best I can. And if you want to peek at a tape, just go take a look at the Penn State tape. Those linebackers for Penn State were way out of position most of the game. That won't be the case this week. You're going to have to earn your yards against Ohio State because Steel Chambers and Tommy Eichenberg do an amazing, amazing job in being able to sniff things out. And then if you choose to play laterally, they're athletic enough to be able to move sideline to sideline as well. I think this is an excellent linebacker core for Ohio State. And I think those are the two most important players on the defensive side of the football for the Buckeyes. On the perimeter, you got to think Michigan's going to challenge these corners. This has been a corner group for Ohio State. Had some guys that have been in and out of the lineup. I kind of like the wide receivers for Michigan. I think that they're very underappreciated. I think they're very underrated. Ronnie Bell, I think, has a chance to become a game changer. Roman Wilson, I think, is a really good piece. Cornelius Johnson, you got some really good pieces on the perimeter for Ohio for Michigan when working against Ohio State, but I also think you cannot overlook the involvement on the shallow cross routes, on the mesh routes involving the tight ends. We've seen Michigan run those hundreds of times this season. Few times have they been covered very well, and it gets guys running across the formation. J.J. McCarthy on underneath throws has been pretty dang good. It's the downfield throws that he hasn't been quite as consistent with. He needs to play his best game in a Wolverines uniform if they're going to pull off the upset. I think it's going to be a phenomenal game on both sides. I think both defenses are extremely underrated. I think both offenses are appropriately rated. Michigan, for all the reasons that they excel along the line of scrimmage and with the vertical rushing attack, Ohio State with their big play potential and their prowess at both wide receiver and at quarterback, it's a dynamic back and forth. I'm going with Michigan. I know it's in Ohio State. I know I'm definitely taking the underdog. I know it's definitely going to be an uphill climb for the Michigan Wolverines to pull off what would be one of the biggest upsets of the college football season. But I still have not been convinced at this point that Ohio State has eradicated some of the issues that plagued them against the Wolverines last year. I think Michigan can control the line of scrimmage, especially up the middle. And I think J.J. McCarthy's legs can make it just difficult enough for Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers at the second level to stay at home and or 
get beat to the perimeter. I think it's going to be a phenomenal game of back and forth, but I expect Michigan to have the better plan. And I think Michigan's going to hold up in the run game against Ohio State's offensive line as well. And the physicality, especially if the refs let them play, I think the physical presence that this game is likely going to require is going to be advantage Michigan. I think Michigan wins it in a photo finish. And I think if anything, we're going to come away from this game saying both Ohio State and Michigan, I think they're likely in the top four teams in college football. All right, another game involving a college football playoff contender. Let's go out west. The Notre Dame Fighting Irish head to the Coliseum to take on the USC Trojans. Notre Dame's got their hands full. There's no doubt. This offense for USC, we all know what Caleb Williams has been. We all know what Jordan Addison's been. We all know what all these different weapons are and just how good this offense has been all season long. They've scored 40-plus points in five consecutive games. It's the longest streak since 2003 and the second longest streak in program history. You all remember who's on that 2003 USC team, right? Yeah. If, if you need if you need to look it up, go for it. But it'll put things in perspective. This group is pretty dang good. All right, Caleb Williams, Jordan Addison are, of course, kind of the straw that stirs the drink. Addison's been back and been really good these last couple of weeks. He was a little bit injured, but they're not the only ones. Remember, this is a team that was 4-8 and eight a year ago and have now gone to the portal. They've added 19 players, 19 players from the portal this offseason. That was tied for the sixth most among Power 5 schools. Notre Dame added just four players, by the way, if you... If you want to use the the differences between the two teams. I think the biggest thing in this game, Caleb Williams, can he continue to go at a Heisman type level? He's going up against a defense that has been really good. Remember the first couple games, not so great defensively when you look at where they were at, but these last couple games, really the last nine defensively for Notre Dame been much much better. I think this is going to be a fascinating game in so many different ways. USC high flying, very, very good through the year. Very, very good offensively, have tremendous weapons, tremendous potential. And shoot, I thought they were going to be in some trouble when they lost Travis Dye. What I didn't know is that you were going to have a guy like Jones, like Austin Jones, just step up and there'd be no drop off whatsoever. And look at just the performance against UCLA last week. I mean, shoot, man, 120 yards against UCLA. That's the most in the game for Austin Jones in the last couple of years. So he's hitting his stride at the right time. I think SC, if I'm playing against SC, I want to make this an absolute slugfest. So if I'm Notre Dame, I'm going to lean into the physicality that I used earlier in the season against Ohio State. My game plan is exactly like the plan I used against Ohio State. Granted, that was week one. And you're going to say, well, you know, I, that was a long time ago. And it's, you know, really Notre Dame wasn't that great those first couple games anyways. Remember, they only scored 15 points a game. Yep, I understand that very much. But look at where Notre Dame is now. Notre Dame has completely shifted and have become a team that has a very well-established identity. You know that when you're playing the Irish, it's going to be a four- quarter slugfest, a heavyweight battle, where if you can't match them with their physicality, you're in legitimate problems. You got some issues. Now, I do think Notre Dame is somewhat susceptible through the air. Doesn't mean that they are bad in the secondary. 
I just think if I'm going to find my space, it's going to be through the air. Because in the front seven defensively, whether it be Foskey, whether it be three outstanding linebackers there for the Irish, I don't like being able to just run it down their throat. It ain't going to happen. So you're going to have to find matchups and opportunities for Jordan Addison. Move him around. Shoot, put him in the backfield like you did last week for the touchdown. Move him around and feature him because with how much man coverage Notre Dame plays, finding favorable looks for him is going to be of the utmost importance. As far as Notre Dame's offense is concerned, I think it is a steady dose of keep away. When you look at Notre Dame's offense, you know that they're not going to be a group that wants to get in a shootout. They don't. Their wide receivers have been somewhat unimpressive this year relative to what our expectation levels were coming into the season. What we do know is they have an elite tight end, Michael Mayer, find matchups for him, find looks for him, allow yourself to be very physical in the run game because that's your calling card. You have three outstanding backs, whether it be Tyree, who is your home run hitter, I'd get him out in space, get him at least 10 touches if humanly possible. Whether it's Diggs, who's become a little bit more of the, you know, you, you kind of churn it out. Diggs is, Diggs is great. I love Diggs. I think Diggs is really, really good. He's very well-rounded, but that's kind of, he doesn't really do anything poorly, but he isn't super elite at anything. You got Tyree, who's an elite home run hitter. You have Diggs, who's extremely versatile and well-rounded. And then you have Audric Estime, who's your downhill thumper. I like Estime in this game. That's the back I'd lead with because I want to make USC feel it. And if they can't match you physical, physically, then you have a chance to potentially shorten the game, extend your possessions, and see if they can ramp it up. Estimate, give me a 230-pound back. That's a message sender. He's the guy I'd feature in this game. And then finally, I think it's going to be very, very interesting. How risky does Tommy Reese want to get? Because if you look at USC, they did it last week. They've done it all season long. This team is a team that thrives on turnovers. One of the very best in college football. Forcing them, but they also do an amazing job of taking care of the football in their own right. They have a plus 20 turnover margin this season. That's the best in the world. <laughs> that includes the NFL, because I can promise you there's no one up there that's plus 20. All right. USC has picked off 18 passes. That's the most in the FBS, and it's most in the season since 2012. So they still have another game to go. So the fact that they're averaging two or they're averaging, gosh, I mean, 18 picks, that's over a pick and a half a game. We're talking about being really smart with how much you let Drew Pine do in the game. As crazy as this sounds, I lean ever so slightly towards the Notre Dame fighting Irish. I think this game could become a game in which they can impose their will at the line of scrimmage. It's going to be up for USC to match them physically. You know me if you've listened to this show, and I've gotten got because of this theory and this mindset all season long. I've gotten got several times, by the way. I always like the more physical team in a game like this. Give me the team that has nothing to lose. Give me a team that has every opportunity to play the spoiler. And give me the team that is more physical every single day of the week. I like Notre Dame to get it done in dramatic fashion on the road against their bitter arch rival, the USC Trojans. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. 
Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. Every college football season, Goodyear knows the importance of winning on the road. The road will always demand confidence. The confidence to handle whatever the journey brings and to perform under tough conditions. And just like the players and the fans of college football, Goodyear is ready. Are you ready for the road? Visit Goodyear.com to find the right Goodyear tires for whatever road you're on this season. Goodyear, more driven. All right, in a game of Jekyll and Hyde, South Carolina heads to Death Valley to take on the Clemson Tigers. Uh, if you guys can help me understand, please, if you don't mind, what version of South Carolina are we getting? It would make picking this game a whole heck of a lot easier. So if you guys know, hit us up in the comment section and help me understand because I want to know. What I saw from South Carolina last week compared to what I'd seen from South Carolina in the seven games against SEC competition prior to last week, they were stark differences. 20.7 points per game in SEC play prior to last week, 63 points against Tennessee. So if you could help me understand which side of South Carolina I'm going to get, it would go a long way in helping me make a prognostication. I still don't trust the Gamecocks. All right. I'm just going to tell you that right now. I thought last week was a phenomenal performance, a phenomenal performance. I still don't trust them. But I do think South Carolina, like I told you last week, they are ripe for the underdog role. They are the exact underdog type of team you want to back. The problem is I think they're a very different team at home compared to the team that you're going to get when they're on the road. And unfortunately for them, they're having to head to Clemson, South Carolina. They're not hosting them there in Willie B. Clemson's won seven straight in the series, but this is the first trip for South Carolina to Clemson since 2018. And if you look at just where Spencer Rattler was prior to last week, he had thrown just one touchdown in the previous three losses against four interceptions, okay? Four of the previous five matchups here between South Carolina and Clemson, by the way, have been in the pre-PM slot. So this game being early at noon, does that have a factor in, by the way, to how much of a carryover from last week there is for the South Carolina Gamecocks. I don't know. Let's start with South Carolina, though, for a moment because it just doesn't make any sense to me. They're 4-0 when Spencer Rattler plays well for the most part. When he completes more than 70% of his passes, they're 4-0. Well, they're 6-3 and when he completes north of 60% of his passes, okay? The big key, though, is I think being able to hit some of those downfield shots. But in order to hit the downfield shots, you got to protect. The protection has not always been great, for South Carolina, they got to be great along the line of scrimmage. Another key to this game, Marshawn Lloyd, is he going to be back? Is he going to be healthy? If he is, will they be able to create a little balance within the offense? I'm not sure you're going to be able to run the ball real well against Clemson, but either way, having Marshawn Lloyd there does give you a chance to just at least keep the defense 
honest. The other guy that needs to get ample touches in the game, Jaheim Bell. He's got to get at least 15 touches in the game. Look, last week against Tennessee, he was used as like a true running back. Look, in Marshawn Lloyd's absence, Christian Beal Smith's absence, you have him step up. He goes from a tight end. He's kind of an H-back, move him around, but you put him back there at running back, he rips off a pretty dang good game. 17 carries, a couple touchdowns, looked smooth in the process, caught five passes as well. He got 22 touches last week in the win against Tennessee. They need to do their best to possibly replicate that type of plan against South Carolina, or against Clemson, excuse me. Turnover margin, okay? Turnover margin is significant in this game. We all know what South Carolina's numbers look like when they have a quality turnover margin. When they have a substandard turnover margin and they're turning the ball over, they're in the reckless, they get got, all right? That's key. The last part of South Carolina, special teams. You're not going to be able to churn out 80, 75, 70, 85 yard drives against Clemson. You're just not going to be able to just churn those out. You're going to have to rely on big plays and you're going to have to rely on stealing a possession or two. The good news is South Carolina has been excellent all season long when it comes to their special teams. Couple blocked punts against Georgia State. That was the opener. They also both turned both those blocked punts into touchdowns. All right, Xavier Leggett, he had a 100-yard kickoff return against Texas A&M. You had Kai Kroger throwing a fake punt there on fourth down to keep a drive alive against Georgia. They also had two more blocked punts against South Carolina State and another one against Kentucky. So this has been a team that has attacked, attacked on special teams. And I think they absolutely have to do so again here. Moving over to Clemson here. The defense is phenomenal, man. Last week's performance against Miami was just completely stifling. Stifling. I mean, Miami had 98 yards of total offense. If they can carry over that type of performance, look out. Because I know how good South Carolina was offensively last week. When you are playing that way, it doesn't matter what the offense does. A couple of the names that you absolutely need to pay attention to for Clemson's defense. Jeremiah Trotter last week was arguably the best player on the field. He, that was the best best he's looked in a Clemson uniform. I thought he was phenomenal. Barrett Carter, another guy you need to be aware of. Trenton Simpson, another guy you need to be aware of. Man, if you look at Trenton Simpson, that guy is all over the field. He's a complete monster. I mean, creating havoc, rushing the quarterback, a couple sacks last week. Keep an eye on those three guys. If you are South Carolina and or Clemson fans, those are the three guys that could very much make an impact on what the outcome is in the game. Offensively speaking, my goodness. Like I, I just I've watched South Carolina, or excuse me, I watched Clemson week in, week out, just hoping for something to click. Like thinking that that Wake Forest game was not an anomaly. Thinking that that Wake Forest game was a sign of things to come. And look at what this offense has done, man. It's just you don't know what you're going to get on a week-to-week basis. I mean, you really don't. It's like last week, for instance, Clemson. Just a complete tale of two halves, right? Great in the first half, awful in the second half. And I just can't quite figure it out. What did I just tell you about Clemson and South Carolina? What could be a huge impact in the game? Ball security. Now, Clemson lost a couple fumbles, but y'all, they put on the deck five times. I mean, they have got to be better when it comes to taking care of the football against a team that thrives 
when they turn you over. And then finally, a lot of blame, a lot of conversation is centered around DJ Uyunglele. A lot of blame is centered around his up and down play. Y'all, it's as simple as this. The personnel on the perimeter for Clemson is not what it once was. I still think they have good players, but they don't have Mike Williams out there on the perimeter. Okay. That I think makes life a little bit more difficult. They don't have Amari Rogers in the slot that is going to be able to potentially catch it and take it the distance. They don't even have the crazy reliable Hunter Renfro in the slot as well. This offense lacks the weapons that they once had. Now, Will Shipley's phenomenal. And I think he's going to have a big game this weekend. He needs to because he is by far their most reliable weapon. He needs to have a big one this weekend against South Carolina. Eileen Clemson in the game. I think their defense is just too much. And if I'm going to live as a prisoner of the moment, fine. It'd be easy to make all the different cases that South Carolina can win the game because of how good they looked last week. But if I had gotten that performance maybe two, maybe three, maybe four times, I'd think that that performance is real. Instead, right now, I think that performance was a little bit more of an anomaly, and I don't know if it's the norm. And I certainly don't think you're going to be able to replicate that kind of offensive success and that kind of offensive output against an elite defense like Clemson. All right, moving just a little bit west, the LSU Tigers putting their playoff chances on the line against a team in Texas A&M that had just ended their six-game losing streak. Not going to spend a ton of time on this one. I'm on the call. I hope you watch. I'm excited to be there. It's a cool rivalry game that they've now created a little bit. I know it's not like crazy traditional rivals, but I like this game probably because it feels like every single time they play, something wild happens. Look, the home team has won each of the last five meetings, and this game's being played in College Station. And a lot of people will look at where LSU was. LSU last week against UAB, Thought Jaden Daniels was very decisive. Thought at less than 100%, Malik Neighbors was excellent. Thought the running ba- running game, even though they didn't have some of their top guys, still pretty solid. Everything about LSU last week, to me, felt like a mature football team. It would have been very easy to sit there against LSU against UAB and say, yeah, we're going to dominate this team, and they come out a little bit flat. That was not the case this past weekend. I thought it was a very nice performance. Texas A&M, meanwhile, got to find something. Got to find something reliable. In the event in which they're at less than 100%, which it certainly seems like that's where everything's trending right now, they got to be able to find competent offense. The offense has struggled all season long. Now you're going to have to go against the likes of BJ Ojolari. You have to go against the likes of Harold Perkins, against the likes of Makai Wingo, against the likes of Makai Garner, against the likes of uh, Jerick Bernard Converse. This is a solid defense at all three levels, and it's going to be tough sledding for Texas A&M. I would not at all be surprised if Jimbo Fisher has maybe one of his most creative game plans of the season, but it won't matter if he doesn't have some of the weapons available to him that have missed recent weeks. If Devon A. Chain can't go, if they're without a few other guys, they're going to have some issues. But either way, should be an awesome game, and I can promise you this, the broadcast will be great as well on Saturday night there on ESPN. Starting your own small business can be a total roller coaster. Between all those bumpy twists and turns comes the actual business side of your business, which can really throw you for a loop. Luckily, with QuickBooks, you can manage your business with confidence from the start. So no matter how bumpy the ride gets, you can always stay on track. New business? 
no problem. Success starts with Intuit QuickBooks. Learn more at quickbooks.com. 10 seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships, your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash network. All right, a game that needs no introduction, especially if you live where I live. I live in Birmingham, Alabama. The Iron Bowl is coming up this weekend. And I know that some people will probably tell you that this Iron Bowl doesn't mean a whole lot. Well, I can promise you here in the state of Alabama, it does. Okay, it most certainly does. It's just the fourth time since the SEC broke into divisions back in 1992 that one team needs a win to reach bowl eligibility. Of course, that's where Auburn is right now. They sit here at five and six, one win away from punching their ticket to the postseason. We're going to talk quite a bit about the possibility of the upset, right? But I think the big thing here is where is the motivation? I think all of us can probably point to the fact that Cadillac Williams has brought energy into the Auburn program. He's brought a newfound life into the Auburn program. Now, their performances have certainly left something to be desired. It's been far from dominant. and It's been far from impressive, but they have played hard. You cannot deny that they've played insanely hard. But one thing that's historically working against Auburn in this spot, the last three times that a team needed a win in the Iron Bowl to reach the postseason, that team is 0-3. Alabama, where are they at from a motivation standpoint? I think they're going to be pretty motivated. A lot of people have questioned. A lot of people have doubted. A lot of people have wondered, when are we going to see the Alabama of old? Well, I don't know if you'll see it in this game. I don't know if you'll see it this season. But it does feel like for many guys that will be playing their final game in Bryant-Denny Stadium, it does feel like they want to leave on a very high note. If you look at where Alabama's at right now offensively, I think they're still in pretty good shape offensively. Bryce Young continues to play at a really high level. However, last week against Austin P, I thought he got hit way too often. The offensive line, a little bit leaky. Some of the protections, not where you want them. It felt like there were a few times in which they didn't account for pressures. It was just an all-around sloppy performance last week, but I would think that that performance was sloppy enough to make sure that Nick Saban has their attention heading into the Iron Bowl this week. The game's obviously being played in Bryant-Denny. We referenced that. That's advantage Alabama by a fairly wide margin. It's very difficult to go on the road in the Iron Bowl. It doesn't matter what the records are. Throw the records out. Being on the road in the Iron Bowl is insanely tough. The last time Auburn won in Tuscaloosa was 2010. Don't remind me. I was there. All right. We look at this game every single year and always try to figure out a way, well, this is the year it's going to go sideways. This is the year it's going to be sideways. It's always difficult to predict that. I think the one way that Auburn can stay in this football game, it's going to be tough. They have to be able to create balance offensively. Right now, when you're watching Auburn, 
and you're studying Auburn, you know that they have not one, not two, maybe not even three, but potentially four different ball carriers that can potentially scare the life out of you as a defensive mind. You know that Tank Bigsby is legit. He's got 900 rushing yards this year, 907 to be exact. He ran for 1,100 last year. Only seven players in Auburn history have multiple 1,000-yard rushing seasons. Most recent was Trey Mason. That was nearly a decade ago. So he is on the verge of with a 91, 93-yard performance from entering the history books there in Auburn. Tank Bigsby's the real deal. Jarquez Hunter is excellent. Elston, excellent. But do not forget Robbie Ashford. Robbie Ashford, as a runner, is dynamic. The problem with Robbie Ashford is that he doesn't always hit and attack the run game vertically. If he does, that can become very problematic for the opposing defense. But I know if I'm Pete Golden, the defensive coordinator at Alabama, I know Auburn's going to try to run the football. I know that. That is without a shadow of a doubt. So what do I do? I completely sell out against the run. If Auburn runs the ball with crazy success in this game, that will be an eye-opener for me as a fan of the game itself. Why? Because I am not at all threatened by Auburn's throwing the football. I'm just not. Robbie Ashford so far this year has been extremely erratic. There have been some games where he's thrown it pretty well. The best performance I think he had through the year was arguably against LSU, and that might have been maybe the best team that Auburn's played this year. Threw the ball very well in that game. Did miss a few throws, but that's to be expected. The guy's a young player that's early in his development. But he has to play the game of his life throwing the football because you know Alabama's going to completely sell out against the run. As far as Auburn is concerned defensively, if you're Alabama, I think you lean heavily on the offensive line. I think you lean heavily on the run game in this particular case. Yes, there will be opportunities for Bryce Young to throw it through the air. There will be opportunities for the wide receivers to get one-on-ones and to ultimately win. But I also think one way that Auburn can win this football game is if Alabama turns the football over. I'm not convinced that Auburn can go and score alongside Alabama. I think Alabama's defense is better than Auburn's. I think Alabama's offense is better than Auburn's. So if it becomes a track meet, one, I don't think that's likely, but two, I like Alabama to win the track meet. So if I'm Auburn, I want to slow the game down. I want to shorten the game. I don't want to shrink the possessions. And I want to play it very similar to how I played it last year. If the game can stay in the teens, Auburn has a very real chance. But if Bama gets to say 24 or 28, maybe 31, it's going to be all Alabama in that particular case. So I think Alabama is a little bit conservative early on because they don't want to potentially give Auburn the short field. If they can establish the line of scrimmage and they can run the football, then Alabama should be in pretty good shape. But if Auburn, for whatever reason, stops the run and leaves the game with a plus two, plus three turnover margin, that's when the game could be really competitive for four quarters. I like Alabama to win the game comfortably. I don't think Auburn has enough through the air to keep Alabama's defense off balance. And I think Alabama stifles the Auburn run game and extinguishes any chance of them potentially pulling off the upset. I think Alabama wins the game by a couple touchdowns. But looking at some of these Vegas lines, man, that's a big line in an Iron Bowl. All right, now let's head out to Oregon. 
where we're going to talk about an awesome rivalry, one that to me has always provided a little bit of drama, and it might very well provide some drama again this year. At least Vegas thinks it might. Oregon goes into this one. They're going to be playing in Corvallis as a slight three-and-a-half-point favorite. Start with Oregon State coming off of what was maybe their best performance of the entire year. Really, the last eight quarters of football for Oregon State has been excellent. If you look at Jonathan Smith and talk about how they've kind of dominated all three phases, I mean, Arizona State and Cal are their two best performances. And if they can play like that, they're going to make it a dogfight for Oregon. That's for sure. Ben Golberson has really taken the reins as the starting quarterback. Look, Chance Nolan got hurt. It wasn't ideal, but Golberson has stepped in and has been very solid. And I think he was coming off of arguably his best performance as well. He's had some ups and downs. He's had some ups and downs, but I'll tell you this. One thing I really like about his game is his willingness to be active in the run game. He is mobile. He is a weapon. And if he can escape and create some opportunities with his legs, that can make life difficult against an Oregon defense that is coming off of one heck of a performance. Let's talk about that Oregon defense just for a moment. To hold Cam Rising to just 170 yards last week told me all I needed to know. And they knew, they knew, by the way, that their offense and their quarterback in particular was going to be way less than 100%. So it was going to require a Hercu- uh, uh, like a Herculean e- effort. Herculean effort. Hercules effort. <laughs> Herculean effort, all right? On defense to hold Cam Rising in check. Cam Rising at times has been very hot this year, but 170 yards and three interceptions in the performance for the Utah quarterback. Not to mention just 10 points of offense scored there by the Utes. Remember, Utah had been rolling offensively, not as much away from home, but man, Utah's offense has been very steady all season long. If you look at where Oregon State's going to try to attack it, they got to get 100%. Last week, if you look at Oregon State, not even close. Without DB's Jaden Grant and Alex Austin, they were without Jack Coletto, who's that Swiss Army knife. That they'll use him all over the place. Shoot, he's their Wildcat quarterback, but he play, I mean, the guy plays everywhere. He plays every position on the field. They're without Deshaun Fenwick, without Anthony Gold, without a lot of guys. So hopefully they can get some of those guys back this week. Because if they can't, it's going to be tough sledding against a quality opponent. But I'll say this. If you're going to find the bright spot, I already mentioned Culberson. He's been very good. How about Damian Martinez? Comes in having rushed for over 100 yards in five straight games. All right, very patient, downhill, imposing runner. He's going to be a handful for the Oregon Ducks defensively. Let's move over to the other side of the football when you look at what Oregon has coming into this game. You look at Bo Nix, what a warrior last week. The guy was clearly less than 100%. If you read some of the press clippings after the game, he's like, man, I could barely walk, but felt like he owed it to his teammates to give it his best shot. Well, it's clearly not 100%, but he did a really good job getting the ball out of his hand and being accurate from the pocket. Really only had one run last week. No, he's a mobile quarterback. He's a dual threat guy. A big part of his game and a big part of his effectiveness is how he can create and extend plays. Well, that wasn't it last week. He ran the ball one time and he put the game on ice there at the very end of the game with his lone carry of the ball game. He needs to be hopefully a little bit healthier to be able to pull it off this week. Now, Deontay Thornton, gotta be, excuse me, Dante Thornton, he's been a revelation. Of course, when Chase Cota went down, him stepping up now, of course, he had a couple of 
fumbles, <laughs> put a couple on the deck last week. The first one was really bad. Second one, I, I can live with a little bit more, but he's going to be the go-to guy. So Oregon State needs to have an answer for him. I think it's going to be an awesome game, an awesome game. And I am shockingly going to lean towards the Beavers in this one. I like the home field. I think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be competitive, but I think the Beavers are going to go out. I think their defense will stay tight enough. If Bo Nix is at less than 100%, I think he's going to have a difficult time because the Beavers with their attacking style defense are going to bring pressures from all over the place. And Trent Bray has done a really good job of putting together maybe the best Beaver defense in a decade. So I like the Beavers to get this thing done at home in what should be one of the biggest shocks of the college football season. All right, putting a bow on everything, I hope everyone is able to take a step back this week, and it's bittersweet for all of us. Like There are things that I love about Saturdays in the spring and things that I love about Saturdays in the summer, but there's nothing quite like a fall football Saturday. And there's nothing that can even come close to matching the intensity of rivalry week. I hope so much that you guys are able to sit back and enjoy all the different aspects that this Saturday's games will provide. It's our last one, y'all. I hate that it's going away. We're still going to be with you here on Always College Football. I mean, just because it's the offseason for some programs doesn't mean we're stopping. Signing day's coming up. Transfer portal's open. Coaching carousel's getting moving. But man, it's the last Saturday of games. And it breaks my heart to know that we've reached this finality. But either way, we're going to enjoy it nonetheless. Thanks for being with us today. We hope you've had a tremendous Thanksgiving week. It's been an amazing, an amazing week for us as we've helped preview some of these games and get you ready for all the action that this weekend's games are going to provide. For all of us here at Always College Football, for Jack Foster, for Jake, for Mark Kubiak, I'm Greg McElroy. We hope you have a wonderful day and a terrific weekend. And remember, it's Always College Football. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.